Hey listeners, we have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at DeFacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind 20,000 Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May 22nd. Now, onto the show. You're listening to 20,000 Hertz. I'm Dallas Taylor. Video games have been leading the charge of what's possible when it comes to sound. Let's just take a second to marvel at just how gorgeous this scene from Halo 5 sounds. Even if you're not into games, it's an industry filled with inspiring stories of overcoming incredible technical hurdles, all while pushing the boundaries of creativity. Microsoft has been a huge part of gaming. We all know about the Xbox, but might not remember that it didn't even exist until 2001, way after all the other major players. New Super Nintendo. So, how did the Xbox gain such a strong identity so quickly? I mean, tons of consoles have come and gone. Virtual Boy, see it now in 3D. Get bit by Jaguar! Sega Saturn, play your games in the 21st century and leave the rest of the world behind. (laughs) How was Microsoft able to gain so much traction so quickly? Well, they did it in part with its iconic startup sequence. That was the Xbox One X startup sound. But turning on an Xbox didn't always sound like this. The startup sequence slowly evolved from its early days with the original Xbox into the Xbox 360, the Xbox One, and now the Xbox One X. How has the sonic landscape changed with each new generation of the console? In order to find out, let's first rewind to 2001 with the launch of the original Xbox. The original Xbox had incredible graphics and sound. Halo was an impressive demonstration of what this new console could bring to the table. However, the Xbox was the new console on the scene, and there was major competition. Microsoft needed to establish their identity from the moment the player pushed the on button. That's the sound the original Xbox made when you first powered it on. The creator of this sound is Brian Schmidt. Brian is a legendary sound designer and composer who got his start all the way back in 1987. I have two or three basic things that I do. I write music and I do sound design. In addition, I also am involved in game audio education. Brian always had two passions in his life. The first being music. So music has always been part of my life. You know, growing up playing, whether it's, you know, playing in rock bands or playing in Baroque trio sonatas uh, with my parents. But during college, a new interest sparked. I went to school as a music major. And while I was in school, I discovered music technology, which was pretty unusual back then, back in 1980, when I was at Northwestern. 
and thought it was so cool, I decided actually to get two undergraduate degrees, one in music and one in computer science. Turns out, those were just the right credentials for a company that was trying to add in some high-tech glitz to a relatively low-tech game. A friend of mine that I had met through the computer music studio at Northwestern there said, hey, we have a job opening at this game company. We need somebody who can write assembly language and also write music and do sound effects for this pinball company. And I was very excited because I'd spent my entire life playing pinball. My mom used to get mad at me for spending all my time playing pinball. So I was really thrilled and very excited. No way. Eventually, Brian moved on to even more challenging projects. I did uh, Madden on Nintendo for a number of years and games like Desert Strike and Jungle Strike for Sega Genesis, Super Nintendo. Ultimately, the Sony PlayStation. And then around that time, Microsoft started calling me and said, hey, we know you have a big audio technology background. We're looking for somebody to head up our game technology division at Microsoft. At the time, Microsoft had developed a number of advances in gaming software, which they called DirectX. This software allowed for a more interactive gaming experience. It did things like heighten the functionality of controllers and speakers. Now, Microsoft was looking to leverage all these new features into a new product. Their idea was, it's essentially, let's take these DirectX technologies that we have put them into something that looks like a game console or make it a game console and call it the Direct Xbox. That's where the Xbox comes from, is the internal code name DirectX, Xbox. And so that was really the genesis of where Microsoft's foray into the hardware business for games came from. The two heads at Microsoft were Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer, and they loved this idea but they didn't want to wait forever to see it come to market. Literally from the day that Bill and Steve gave the green light to do the Xbox to hitting the store shelves was only 18 months. So everything had to just be done lightning fast and really, really quickly. The decisions were fast. The tight deadline was just one of the many challenges for Brian and not even the most pressing. So we really wanted this to be just like any other piece of consumer electronics equipment. You push the button and it turns on instantly. Well, it turns out instantly is not really instantly. It does take some time for hard drives to go from not moving to spinning to where you can actually read data off them. This is a big problem. A boot-up screen gives the player feedback that the console is working properly. However, they needed the hard drive to be fully spinning before they could even start the boot-up sequence. You can't access a hard drive that's not spinning at its full speed. You literally can't read data off of it. So that means during that boot sequence, the hard drive doesn't exist. The eureka moment came when he realized he didn't even have to bother with the hard drive at all. So like, well, what about, isn't there some memory chips on the board itself? And it's like, yes, there's a memory chip on the board. There's one memory chip, which was a total of 256 kilobytes in size. One measly 256 kilobyte memory chip. To put this in perspective, one megabyte is equal to 1,000 kilobytes. There was 128 megabytes of memory in the first generation iPhone. So we're talking tiny, tiny bits of memory by today's standards. 
and he didn't even get to use all 256 kilobytes in the memory. The operating system of the Xbox was about 150 or 160K. Well, they had to add the art animations to that. After they did that, it turned out that there was about 28 kilobytes left for sound. So the entire Xbox boot sound somehow had to be done with 28 kilobytes. So now we're talking about a really, really tiny amount of memory. What sounds can I make easily? And let me see how I can use those. So I give a great example. The very opening of that Xbox sound, there's a sort of fade in. And the Xbox sound starts with a... And it's what that sound is, is literally a low-pitched sawtooth wave where I could programmatically start the filter cutoff very, very low, you know, like 20 hertz, something like that. And then over the course of about three-quarters of a second, I could open it up all the way. Not only was the sound easy to produce, it fit perfectly into the mood he was trying to achieve. It's literally putting more energy into the sound because as you're no longer filtering off the highs, you're adding more energy. So that kind of met the aesthetic of bringing forth of energy from nothingness that wants to burst into your living room. And the cool thing about it was is that I can calculate a sawtooth wave really cheaply in code. I don't have to store a sawtooth wave. So I wrote a little piece of C code to generate a sawtooth wave. I generated a triangle wave. I generated a big long list of random numbers that I use as white noise. And there was just enough space to put in some more organic sounds. Uh, I have the very, very beginning about a quarter of a second or a half a second of a thunderclap. So So now I've got my palette. I've got sawtooth, I've got triangle, I've got white noise, I've got a thunder sound. I actually wrote a little bit of code to reverse it, so now I had a reversed thunder sound. And I had my glockenspiel. All that was left was to sync it with the visuals. So Brian took out a camcorder, taped the sequence, and began taking notes. You know, at this many seconds in, the X appears. At this many seconds, the whoosh happens. At this many seconds, the blob expands or whatever it was. And then I wrote this sequence of notes and synthesis control parameters, like filter controls, that use this sawtooth wave and thunderclap in a way that matched the visuals. So those early boom, 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 that's actually a triangle wave with a fairly high frequency LFO on both pitch and volume. And that gives it this sort of kind of sound. And in the end, it all just kind of worked. The original Xbox debuted on November 15th, 2001, and went on to sell more than 24 million units. But just a few years later, advances in technology made all the work on the startup sound kind of obsolete. There was actually a titanic shift in game audio that occurred with the PlayStation 2 and the original Xbox. And that was when games started shipping on DVDs. That was really the point where the technique of having to use little synthesizers inside the game consoles, that really went away. 
because with DVDs, there was plenty of room on the disc where you could go record 90 minutes of original score with the Chicago Symphony and have, you know, 5,000 lines of dialogue. It's been an eternity since I was in a club. Thanks for sharing. Go away. Lots of high-fidelity effects. Memory no longer became an issue. But there was a new problem to solve. How could Microsoft widen the appeal of the Xbox for its next console? And what did this mean for its startup sound? We'll find out after the break. Why should you learn another language with Babbel? Well, there are a ton of reasons, but let's see how many I can fit into 60 seconds. First, Babbel works fast. You can start having conversations in another language in as little as three weeks. Next, it makes overseas vacations more fun and less stressful. I used it all the time on my last trip to Italy. If you work with foreign collaborators, Babbel can help you deepen those relationships. It's a fun thing to do when you need a break, and it's way better than doom scrolling. Babbel teaches you about other cultures. Speaking for myself, learning something new just makes me feel good. It's very affordable. And finally, signing up for Babbel helps support 20,000 Hertz. Okay, make that eight reasons, or otto ragioni, as they'd say in Italian. To get started on a new language today, here's a special limited time deal for 20,000 Hertz listeners. Get 55% off your Babbel subscription right now at babbel.com slash 20k. This offer is only available for our listeners. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash 20k for 55% off. Babbel.com slash 20k. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Indeed finds highly qualified candidates for any job as quickly as possible. That means when you've got a major deadline and need to hire right now, Indeed lets you relax. So how does it work? First, Indeed has 350 million regular visitors each month. In other words, you have a huge group of talented people to choose from. Then, Indeed's AI-powered matching technology helps you pick out the right person for you. It's like searching for a needle in a huge haystack, but with a giant Indeed-shaped magnet. And in an Indeed survey, 93% of those businesses said Indeed delivered the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Our listeners can get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Hertz. Just go to Indeed.com slash Hertz right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash H-E-R-T-Z. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, 
you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Brian Schmidt created one of the most iconic sounds in gaming. It was the startup sound for the original Xbox. But it sounded very sci-fi and futuristic. So when it was time to develop the next generation of the Xbox, Microsoft was ready for a new direction. They wanted to change from a branding perspective and how they wanted to change their audience from being, say, the 14-year-old boy to more inclusive of gender, less sort of sci-fi. That's Michael Sweet, a sound designer and composer who also teaches film scoring at Berkeley in Boston. He was tasked with creating the startup sound for the Xbox 360. Microsoft had a new challenge. It was to grow the gamer base. And they couldn't do that by only focusing on one niche demographic. They also knew they wanted this startup sound to be used as a marketing tool. So they wanted this detachable sound logo that they could put across all their branding. We tried to create a a detachable two-second logo at the end, which they could then take and move to any piece of their branding. So the end of a commercial, if they were advertising a Madden game, at the very end, you'd hear a two-second logo. EA Sports. It's in the game. And obviously, PlayStation was a big competitor of theirs. And Sega, to some extent... Both had logos, detachable, like, two-second logos that they would play at the end of their commercials. Final Fantasy X, rated T for Teen, only on PlayStation 2. Xbox really didn't have anything like that at the time. So this was going to be their sound to sort of market their products and be the defining thing that really helped brand the experience of playing on the Xbox. Michael was told that not only did this audio logo have to be iconic, but it also had to be inclusive. They wanted to bring in these other demographics and make it much more open, a much more open space to play in. So what are you waiting for? Jump in with Connect for Xbox 360. So going sort of from dark to light was one of the things that they talked a lot about. They also wanted to get across this idea of powered by human energy so that the box was kind of living on its own. So what does something powered by human energy sound like? Michael and his team started experimenting. There was a direction called symphony, the way that people play together in a symphony. And strangely, symphony has become part of other logos, but we didn't eventually go into the sort of symphonic directions, although you can hear some strings in the launch like strings tuning up. There are some brands out there that kind of use that as their logo. We kind of explored a little bit in that direction and didn't think it was quite right. We explored voices. We spent a lot of time trying different logos out with that use vocal elements, whether they were sung vocals or just saying Xbox 360 in different languages, to pull together different culturally regions from around the world and things like that. We explored kind of an architecture direction and a nature direction. For weeks, they demo ideas to figure out what worked. 
we move it closer to one thing or another. One thing that ended up being very important was the breath at the end. And the breath signifies a couple different things. It talks about how this box is sort of powered by human energy. So when you get to the end of the logo and on top of the sort of tonal stuff that you hear, you actually hear an inhale, like, right? The box itself looks like it's inhaling, right? You have this concave shape. It was also important to create a sense of movement within the sound. This spinning ball logo that kind of moved in 3D towards you and moved from this place of darkness to lightness. And so we tried to start, obviously, maybe with lower pitches moving up to kind of this this sonic ending to kind of create the illusion of going from, say, dark to light. That startup sound had a good five-year run. However, the influence of Michael's original design can still be heard in future Xbox startup sequences. There was a revision to the Xbox 360 startup in 2010. And then the startup for the Xbox One in 2013. Fast forward to November 2017, and the Xbox One X is released. The logo has gotten way more electronic over the years. They've taken those sort of initial things and it's become much more electronic. You know, wherever a brand is at a specific moment in time is different than how it might be two years later or three years later. Microsoft continues to evolve the visuals and sound of the brand. Michael says the startup sound from each new generation of Xbox are a reflection of where Microsoft is at the moment. He says, nowadays, we may have even gotten to the point where the entire startup sound itself has become obsolete. Who turns their game consoles on and off anymore? They're always on. And so you rarely hear kind of a startup sound in the way that you used to on devices. Although technological advancements have created less restrictions, that's not to say that video game sound designers have it easy these days. With each new advancement in technology comes new problems. And the possibilities for both success and failure are infinite. I just enjoy this fact that I feel like we're in film in the 20s where we just don't know what we're doing and we're kind of making it up as we go along, discovering things that are great and discovering things that, oh man, I wish I hadn't tried that. I'm embarrassed that game ship. Brian says just as game consoles evolve, so should the craft of game sound design. His dream is a future where new composers and new sound designers don't have to start from scratch like he did. We're tripping over the same kinds of issues. There's a lot of technology involved in games. It's much, much better now than it was, you know, back in the Xbox days. But even now, there's a lot of technology that goes into making game music and lots of technical constraints that you have, particularly, for example, as a sound designer, challenges that we don't have if we're doing traditional linear media. In the end, whether it's about solving a technical problem or creating something iconic and marketable, Brian says there's a higher purpose to what game sound design does. If you look at the neurophysiology of sound and the neurobiology of sound, there are fewer neural processing paths between your nerve cells in your ear 
and your frontal cortex than there are, for example, in the visual system. There's more processing that goes on. And so music and sound, I think, have this ability to sort of just tweak you emotionally in a way that, that visualists can't. You know, they, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. I would say a sound is worth a thousand pictures. At the end of the day, it's really about moving people with sound. Twenty thousand hertz is produced out of the studios of DeFacto Sound. Find out more at defactosound.com. This episode was written and produced by Rob Sachs. And me, Dallas Taylor. With help from Sam Sneebly. It was edited, sound designed, and mixed by Jai Berger. Thanks to our guest, Brian Schmidt. Brian puts on an incredible conference every year called Game SoundCon, which brings 350 composers, musicians, and game sound designers to LA to learn about the intersection of music and tech. Find out more at gamesoundcon.com. Thanks also to Michael Sweet. Michael teaches film scoring at the Berklee College of Music in Boston, and he's also a full-time composer. The music in this episode is from our friends at Musicbed, and now you can also use their music. For the first time ever, they now have membership plans. Check it out and sign up at music.20k.org. Finally, you can engage with me and the rest of the 20K team through our website, Facebook, Twitter, or by writing hi at 20k.org. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.